Welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, where we talk to great bosses and those who build great bosses about what it takes to be a great boss. And now, here is your host, the founder and CEO of Boss Builders, Mac Monroe. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast. In this episode, we are going to go ahead and check the email and see what kinds of questions we have for today. I really enjoyed this part of the show, and this is your opportunity to ask questions and have them answered on the show, and then hopefully those answers would help other people that are in the same position. Remember, most of our focus audience is the person that considers themselves to be the boss, the person that is taking care of things, the person that is running their department, the person that might be running the shift. And for some of you in that role, you were tossed in that role without a whole lot of training or a whole lot of education and maybe not even a lot of expectations. And you're probably struggling. Well, the benefit of having this podcast is that I have been working with folks like you for many years and learning a lot as I go and hopefully can share some light and some answers that will be useful for you. Well, our first question this morning is actually from Shannon, who writes in from Seattle, Washington. And Shannon was talking about this whole idea that it seems like there just isn't a whole lot of common sense these days, not only at work, but also in life. And so after thinking about her question a while, I I thought I would address that one. The first thing I hear a lot when I work with people is they say things like this, you know, people today just have no common sense. Uh, And then I hear this a lot as well. Young workers today just have no common sense. They come out of school, they're really smart, but they have no common sense. And I wonder if that whole idea of common sense is maybe just being misdiagnosed. You know, when I hear this, it's things like this, you know, and and it unfortunately seems to be always blamed on younger workers. So it goes like this. These young kids today, they don't know how to communicate like human beings. These young kids today, they don't do the things we do. They have no common sense. And a lot of this is really around workplace behaviors and workplace expectations. Well, you know, I could think about our own kids who at the time of this podcast are uh, 21, almost 22. That's our son and daughter who is 19 uh, in college going into her second year. And, you know, it's interesting is that, you know, our son, as he's transitioning out and into his first job and into his first apartment, You know, it's simple things he doesn't really know how to do, like writing a check. And I've heard this before. You know, young people today, they don't even know how to write a check. Well, my daughter, who also helps me out with my monthly mailings, I had to actually, you know, she volunteered to go ahead and put the address labels on, the stamps, and the return address labels. And then I always put a colorful stamp on an ink pad. And so what I do is I do a model for her, and then she goes ahead and addresses. There's typically around 150 or so, and it saves me time, which is really great. But I have to show her, you know, here's how you, here's where you put the stamp, here's where you put the return address label. And someone would say, geez, you kids don't know how to do that? Oh my gosh. But let's think about this for a moment, right? When was the last time you, as an adult, I'm assuming listening to my podcast, actually pulled out your checkbook at the grocery store and wrote a check? More often, you probably see some old lady who pulls out her checkbook and what you do is you roll your eyes and say, here we go again. Good Lord, who writes checks anymore? Well, you know, I hardly ever write checks anymore. But the thing is, I have written checks for a long time. So I know how to write a check. But take a young person who pays with an app. They don't know how to write a check. It's because nobody showed them. I bet if you showed them how to write a check, they could write a check. Then you wouldn't have anything to whine about. Let's take addressing an envelope. Yeah, you could say, geez, your kids don't know how to put stamps on an envelope. Well, let's think about it. 
When was the last time you wrote a letter to somebody and put a stamp on it? Maybe you pay a bill, so here you go, you wrote a check out of your checkbook, stuck it in an envelope, and paid a bill with it. Well, most people today, myself included, pay most of our stuff online. You go on your bank's site, you go ahead and you click a few buttons, and boom, it goes out. So we could say kids today have no common sense because they can't write a check and they can't address an envelope. But maybe it's just the whole idea that they haven't been taught how to use it. Let's go to the workplace then. The workplace complaint is these people today have no common sense. They don't know how to write an email. Their desks are a mess. They don't know how to behave in a meeting. Well, I wonder if maybe nobody bothered to show them. Maybe the assumption is you come out of school and you know how to behave in a meeting. And you know what proper desk decorum looks like. And you know the proper way to format an email. Well, maybe they don't. Maybe they haven't used it. Colleges aren't going to teach them how to do that kind of stuff. So whose job is it? Well, that would be the job of the boss. The boss's job is to educate. I honestly believe that in most cases the excuse of common sense is just an idea that nobody's been shown how to do a thing. It's assumed they know how to do it, and when they don't know how to do it, we blame it on a lack of common sense. So I don't think it's so much a will issue as it is a skill issue. We know that skill issues are handled through some sort of training. But here's the caveat. If I am very clear what the office expectation is in terms of how we communicate, how we answer the phone, how we send an email, and the person refuses to do it, it's not a lack of common sense, it's a lack of will. And we know that will problems are handled on one end through some sort of motivation and on the other extreme end through punishment. So rather than complain about people with the lack of common sense, let's define what common sense really is. And then don't just throw in that little line, yeah, well, common sense isn't common practice. How about this? Somebody with low skills may not know what to do. And it's common practice for a lot of people to not know what they ought to be doing. So why don't we take the time and show them how to do it? I'm sure my viewpoint differs in a lot of people, and you're welcome to write in and let me know what your thoughts are. Please leave some comments. I think that would be amazing. I would love that, especially if you're listening to my podcast on iTunes, because that's going to get more people listening to it. So, Shannon, I'm sure you were expecting hugs and love, um, and I'm, I'm going to give you just uh, something maybe that we all need to hear. Hope that makes sense. All right, next one comes from Albert. Albert is writing in from Hartford, Connecticut. I have quite a few clients up in Hartford, so I would imagine maybe Albert has been in one of my workshops, but I'm glad that he's writing in. So his question is is around this idea that a lot of employees seem like they bring a lot of baggage to work with them. And, and, and I won't read you his email directly, but he's talking about the fact that you know people aren't focused on their jobs because they're too worried about all these other things and everybody's got baggage. And so um, here's the idea on baggage, and, and it kind of struck me too, because I and maybe this is why he wrote in. I did a blog post a little while ago as I was standing ready to board a plane, and I saw the sign for baggage claim. And since I don't really ever check bags, I don't really pay attention, but I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, uh, a person who's taking a trip, they take their baggage down and they check the baggage. The baggage goes on the plane. Plane lands, you go down to baggage claim, and you hope that it rolls out on the belt and it's not damaged and ripped up. But if you don't claim your baggage, then it gets pulled aside. And sometimes unclaimed baggage sits for a long time, and then they might have to tear it open, blow it up, whatever. And so the unclaimed baggage is really the most dangerous type of baggage. And so maybe rather than worry about people bringing baggage to work, because I can just give you the short answer here, the purpose of work is to do something in exchange for a paycheck. 
And whatever hours those may be, whether it's an eight-hour shift for more people, most people, or like in my son's case, a 12-hour shift, you're paid to perform during that 12 hours. The baggage should not be checked at work. The baggage should be left in the car. Your job is to come in, do your job, and then go home. And then you're welcome to go play in the baggage and do whatever you like. Well, let's think about the different types of baggage that a person may actually have. And, and maybe this is why some people struggle with it. And again, if you're the boss, your job is not to be a counselor or you know, a therapist or any of that stuff. Your job is to protect your house and make sure that work is getting done. Well, let's take a look at the types of baggage. So I think we could put them in kind of a chronological order in terms of baggage. And so the first type of baggage we'll look at is past baggage. Past baggage. You know, I'm thinking back to my Navy career. And if you know me and if you've sat in my workshops or talks, you know, I, I often talk about my Navy time. And it's rarely ever talked about as the most important, amazing time of my life. Uh, most of that time, I was actually fairly uncomfortable and miserable, and it wasn't because I didn't like Navy life. It's just that what I was doing did not match what my goals in life were, and for part of that time, I had no idea what my goals in life were, but for the last few years, I knew specifically what my goals in life would be, and it was kind of along those lines, uh, and I've revisited this story just recently. I've got a fair amount of clients that want me to do this two-hour talk on respect in the workplace, and the idea of respect is that Respect means we're being taken seriously, and when a person feels as though their ideas, their work quality, or their appearance is not taken seriously, they feel disrespected, and then disrespect could mean a person actually quits on you. And in worst case scenario, they, they quit on you, but they still stay working for you. That's even worse. Well, I can take you back to you know periods of time, uh, especially toward the end of my Navy career, where I had actually finished my master's degree. I was still enlisted, which meant I'm not an officer. So you're wearing the uniform of an enlisted person, which if you're going to generalize based on appearance, that person is a high school grad only, no college degree, probably going to do technical roles, if that, and never will aspire to anything more than a certain enlisted pay grade which, you know, I always had an issue because that's looking at the outward appearance and making a judgment or an assumption. Well, toward the end of my time, I had finished that master's degree and I saw the Navy had this really, really interesting concept that I finally thought was amazing and believed in it. It was total quality. Of course, the, uh, the industry word was TQM, total quality management. The Navy changed it a little bit because they're about leadership, so they call it total quality leadership. But it was the idea of using systems and processes to solve problems and the way that the Navy solved the problems then and probably still does to some extent today is let's find who did it and blame them and punish them never mind the systems broken but total quality meant that we were looking at systems and I thought that was a really cool thing to do so I sort of embraced this role as, as what we called a collateral duty which meant you you do this in addition to your main job and at the time my job was working in the IT department which is not something I really was interested in, but I loved the quality stuff that I was working on. And so um, one thing that, that came down from our governing body, which was known as the Bureau of Medicine and Surgery, BUMED, was that we were going to have to have a strategic plan. And we had a really, um, really had a good commanding officer who also embraced it. And so I was part of this and I was working with him and uh, we had teams, and we would do a lot of this activity in civilian clothes because I was one of the few, uh, I was actually the only junior enlisted person in the group. There was a few senior and then a lot of officers. And, and so I was working on this. I was facilitating teams. I was helping in the planning. And it was a lot of the things that, number one, I had learned in my master's program, which the Navy had subsidized. 
And a lot of it was just my own study because I just found it was interesting. And so I would spend hours reading books and learning. And so we, we get to this point where we have what's known as an IG inspection. Now, an IG inspection means that auditors will come from ViewMed, our parent organization, and they'll, they'll inspect everything. And they typically find flaws, and then you got to address them. But one of the things I knew we were going to be inspected on was this idea of having a good strategic plan. And so I thought, man, this is going to be my time to really shine. And so the executive officer, he says, well, Petty Officer Monroe, we're going to do the briefing for the IG, and I'm going to need you right there. And I'm thinking, yeah, man, this is it. I finally get to be in the spotlight. I finally get to be recognized. I will finally earn that respect. Somebody is going to take me seriously. And I was excited. And then we went in the briefing room, and he said, all right, I need you right here as I'm working on this presentation and when I knock on the podium, you, you need to advance the PowerPoint slide to the next slide. And I said, okay, well, when do I get to talk? He says, well, no, you're not going to talk. I says, well, this is something I worked really hard on. I'd like to be able to address some of it. He says, nobody wants to hear you. They want to hear me. So if you don't like that, you can get the hell out of here. And I can tell you that was really the day I quit the Navy. I, I was still there, but I had emotionally and mentally checked out. And I still feel today it's one of the most disrespected moments of my entire life. I still think about that and react to it. But truthfully, that resulted in some past baggage. Uh, when I left the Navy, I really hated the Navy. Uh, the first thing I did was I let my hair grow long, whatever hair was left, look like kind of a fright wig. And I let my beard grow out because I never wanted to be on a military base. My wife was still active duty at the time, so I could still go on base anywhere. I didn't want somebody to see me and think I was some active duty guy in civilian clothes on a weekend. So I made sure I didn't look like I was in the military. And I started forging ahead in my career. And one thing I noticed is that I was doing this with quite a bit of anger. And I think it was maybe two years later that one day I realized, you know, even if some of these people were still alive, they probably have forgotten about me a long time ago. I'm the only one keeping this alive. And so I kind of let that go. And, and I think that was beneficial because after that, I started doing some work with military folks. I started working in the transition programs. And through the years, I've kind of been able to help out in that area. So, so the first type of baggage a person, I believe they have, is past baggage. Now, again, if you're the boss, it's not your job to sit there and unpack the past baggage. It's, it's maybe the job of the people that are carrying the baggage to start letting some of the baggage go. So past baggage. Now, the next type of baggage is maybe something that could impact you as the boss, and we call that the present baggage. So this is maybe the thoughts and opinions and ideas, wherever they have their origin, that could make you maybe treat people differently. You have a certain amount of baggage based on what you currently see that fits a profile in your mind that something is going to react the way it does. Maybe it goes back to the previous question we had about these young people today have no common sense. Well, what's dangerous about present baggage is that if you're not aware of it, you may look for data that supports your opinion. So we call these kinds of things like confirmation bias. Gee, it seems like young people today have no common sense. Yeah, take a look over there. There's some kid that can't even address an envelope. Well, look at that one over there. They can't even write a check. But unless you explore this present baggage, you're, you're not going to be able to make good decisions. And as a boss, you know, one of your key responsibilities is to develop others. And if you are not able to see past perception and stereotype, 
you may not be the best developer of people. So the second type of baggage then is the present baggage. What decisions am I making now that are really not good decisions because I'm using some flawed data? Well, the third type of baggage then is future baggage. Future baggage is tied to this idea of anxiety. Anxiety is this idea that I'm horrified and I'm terrified of this awful thing that could possibly happen. Or maybe in the realm of career development, it's like, wow, I'd really like to do this in the future, but I'll probably end up in this idea. The idea of future baggage is that you envision something really amazing in the future, but then you realize now you don't have what it takes to get there. And so what you do is you wallow in this pity and you complain and whine all the time and you say, if only I had time to do this amazing thing. Well, maybe it's important to address the future baggage and work your way backwards from that. Maybe at this point in your career, you are the boss of, let's say, a, a division of five people. And you say, one day I would like to own my own company, but I'm 45 years old, it's too late to do it. Geez, but boy, that sure would have been a great goal. And then what you do is you bring that unhappiness to your job and say, you know, if I'd started just 10 years earlier, I could have my own business by now. Well, there's nothing saying that you can't go to the future and say, I see myself as a business owner. So why don't we deconstruct the journey that got me here? And you do this through talking with people who have already established businesses. What are the steps to be able to do it? And then realize that, wow, you, you have resources and tools that could shorten that journey and you have still plenty of time. You know, Colonel Sanders, the guy that has the restaurants and now he's being brought back to life by in a, in a very creepy fashion, I think. But, you know, he didn't really even start into his success till after he turned 65. He had already had a successful business where he sold his recipe. And then when the highway interstate system came in, he was forced to shut it down and retire. But he just wasn't ready to quit. So he got in his car and he took whatever money he had. And he tried to sell this, this idea, this concept of franchising. So let's set up restaurants. Let's teach people how to make this chicken and let's expand the brand. And so, you know, in his last couple of decades, accomplished way more than he did in his first but at age 65, he could have said, boy, I sure wish I had been able to make a global imprint instead of just having this restaurant at a gas station. But he chose to go after it. So for some of us, it's future baggage. We see this future that we wish we could do, but then we think of every reason why we can't do it. Now imagine a person that has this personal vision and they are discouraged about it. So what do they do? They bring their present whiny, complaining self to work. And this is where the question from Albert probably comes from. Gee, these people come in, they bring their baggage, they complain. Well, in the past I had this boss and there's all these young kids today. And gee, I always want to have my own business. And boom, what do we got? We got three examples of past, present, and future baggage. So, Albert, there's no way you can be the counselor, but maybe what I would do is have you go read the blog or listen to the podcast, because this is a message I think all of us need to hear. Let's take some ownership of this nonsense instead of blaming everybody for all of the horrible things that have been thrust on us. We are people, for the most part, that probably have amazing brains and skills. So why should we be forced into a box by something else that maybe we can't even touch and hold? Well, there, that's the end of the sermon. So hopefully those help and, and that you can communicate some of this. You know, the purpose of the Boss Builder podcast is to educate. If you are someone in the role of the boss and you've never had the opportunity 
to have formal training, I would point you to thebossbuilders.com where you can take a look at our program, The Boss Builder Academy, designed to be done through video and then a monthly roundtable, either in person depending on your company or webinar where you can ask these questions. If you are in the role of the boss and never had formal training, you're learning by experience. And trust me on this, if you've ever had a boss that didn't have experience and was using you as the lab, it's a pretty uncomfortable place to be. So why not take charge of your learning journey and check us out at thebossbuilders.com. Well, if you have questions for me, you can always send them directly to me at mac, M-A-C-K, at thebossbuilders.com. You can go to our website. There's a place to leave comments. You can do it that way, or you can always call us at 931-221-2988. Until next time, enjoy the rest of your day and get out there and do what you can to be the absolute best boss ever. Goodbye. You've been listening to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast with Mac Monroe. To get more information on being a great boss, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com or at Mac's blog, macmonroe.com. Until next time, get out there and be a great boss.